Thank you for listening to the Voices of UMass Chan, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of UMass Chan Medical School. Chancellor Collins, faculty, distinguished guests, parents, family members, Tanya and Luke, my fellow honorary degree recipients, and most of all, the 2023 graduates of the Massachusetts Chan Medical School. Should we take a selfie or would that be chuggy? <laughs> I say let's do it. Okay, ready? Say Chan. <laughs> okay. Follow me on Instagram, you'll be seeing that. <laughs> so what a thrill it is to be here in Wormtown, birthplace of birth control and the yellow smiley face. Two things that as far as I know are unrelated. <laughs> I am so incredibly honored to be here on this very special day. Standing up here on this stage, I see a sea of faces full of hope for the future. Some with dark circles, some perhaps a little hungover, <laughs> but all deserving the biggest, most heartfelt congratulations I can muster. You all have worked so damn hard. So today is a time to celebrate, pat yourself on the back and begin to think about the challenges ahead of which there will be plenty. I hope that I can leave you with a healthy dose of inspiration a shot in the arm, a prescription for being the best doctor, nurse, or scientist you can be, and hopefully a little laughter, because while it may not be the best medicine, it can sure make life a whole lot easier. You'll be making your mark in a world that is dramatically different than the one I entered when I graduated in 19... <coughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> Actually, thanks, Chancellor Collins, for... Uh, telling everyone when I graduated from college. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, sure, embarking on a career in TV news had its challenges. There were plenty of men who wanted to keep the broads out of broadcasting. In fact, back then, harass was two words instead of one. But over the last 40 years, I've seen women take front and center stage in my business. And I've also seen a huge transformation in the media industry, fueled by technology that has changed the way we create, distribute, and consume information. Now we're approaching a new era, a brave new world where artificial intelligence will transform almost every aspect of our society. And your chosen professions, of course, are no exception. Even though AI has been used in medicine since the 70s with machine learning, which takes advantage of the processing power of computers and big data, it is going to be a whole new ball game. Whether this represents a brand new day or the beginning of the end depends on who you talk to. But the consensus is that it will make our healthcare system more efficient, less expensive, and more equitable. 
get rid of massive paperwork that takes too much time away from patients, and help reduce medical errors that kill an estimated 200,000 people every single year. It also has remarkable applications in predicting disease that isn't visible to the naked eye. An AI system created at MIT can scan a mammogram at the pixel level and compare it to patterns from previous scans and flag patients who have a high risk of getting breast cancer in five years, something even the most competent radiologists could never do. Other systems are helping predict whether early lung nodules will turn into cancer or skin lesions into melanoma. There are so many exciting developments, it will make your head spin. The world of medicine, in fact, will continue to evolve and iterate at breakneck speed. It's exciting, yet scary promising, yet perilous. And while it's likely to help you serve your patients better and discover new, exciting therapies, perhaps even cures, it will never replace the living, breathing human beings who are graduating today. You will be bringing your unique selves to your profession, not the information you've processed, but the wisdom you've gained from the sum of your life experiences. You'll provide what no machine or robot can ever do, and that is your irreplaceable humanity. Never losing that will be your biggest challenge, making sure it's as omnipresent as your stethoscope, thermometer, and petri dish will be the greatest gift you give to your patients. So look, really look at your patients, listen to them, learn about them, and from them. Instead of asking what's the matter with you, ask what matters to you. I know very well what matters to patients and their families because I've been there. Until the age of 40, my life had been a fairy tale existence. My late husband once said I was born on a sunny day. That was before he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at the age of 41. He died nine months later. Our daughters, just six and two, were suddenly fatherless, and I was a widow, grappling with a devastating loss that would completely shatter the future I had imagined for our family. Those nine months between diagnosis and death were excruciating, balancing hope that somehow we'd be able to manage Jay's disease until some miraculous new treatment came along with the reality of his bleak prognosis. Optimism with despair was overwhelming. But our loving doctors and nurses were there, always there, offering words of encouragement, strength, and comfort. I don't know what I would have done without Jay's gastroenterologist, Mark Pachapin, who spent time getting to know Jay as the incredible person he was and who deeply understood that cancer affects not just the patient, but the entire family as well. I asked Mark what he would tell you this morning, and he said, when patients come to see us for medical help, they are at their most vulnerable state. They may be at the top of their game personally and professionally, but when they need medical attention, they may feel confused, helpless, frightened, and out of control. Being present, 
holding a hand and validating those emotions are so important for creating a bond of trust and understanding, the very essence of the doctor-patient relationship. Just two and a half years after Jay's death, I got a phone call from my oldest sister, Emily, a rising star in Virginia politics. She had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and in her words, it was all over her liver. Like Jay, she fought like hell and lived for 16 months. Having a painful front row seat to the patient experience, her eldest son, my nephew Ray, became a gastrointestinal oncologist. And this is what Ray told me that I wanted to share with you today. Experiencing the death of my mother when she was just 54, before I finished becoming the son I wanted to be and the son I felt she fully deserved, and watching the pain on her face as she struggled to come to terms with her inevitable demise, conditioned me to let myself relive that experience and reimagine her pain at least a little with every cancer patient and every family member I care for. As difficult as that sounds, it's what sustains me. It's up to you to manage your empathy so that it doesn't consume you, but never make the mistake of inadequately nurturing it. When you care for another human being, you're caring for a version of yourself. Fast forward to 2022. I thought cancer by now was in my rearview mirror but last summer, I went to my radiologist for my yearly breast cancer screening. Like many other women, I got off schedule during the pandemic and was six months behind. Much to my surprise, I too became a member of a club no one wants to join. I was diagnosed with stage 1A breast cancer, which required a lumpectomy and radiation. Once again, my medical team was amaz amazing. All female, I might add. <laughs> I asked my breast surgeon, Dr. Lisa Newman, for some words of wisdom. She quoted a mentor of hers who once told her, each patient should always be the object of our affection, adding, it always reminds me that in the midst of the intensity of explaining a new cancer diagnosis and its treatment, it's imperative to connect with each patient and make sure they know you genuinely and sincerely care for their well-being. My friend, Dr. Jeremy Faust, an emergency physician at Brigham and Women's, put it this way, use every bit of technology you possibly can to prepare for each patient, but then drop all that and do the one thing that technology can never do. Look at your patient and think, what would I do if this were my mother or my brother? No machine will ever be able to know that feeling, and it will change what you do more often than you'd expect. In fact, a book called Compassionomics shows there's scientific evidence that compassion can improve the outcomes of everything from glucose control in diabetics, response to pain stimulus, anxiety in breast cancer patients, and the duration of the common cold by bolstering the immune system. Needless to say, all these experiences shook me to my core, but they also motivated me to try to make a difference. As you heard from Chancellor Collins, after my husband died, I got a colonoscopy on the Today Show. Nothing says good morning like showing your colon on national television. 
And as he mentioned, colon cancer screening increased 20% and the University of Michigan called it the Couric effect. I've continued to be the screen queen in the years since. Not long ago when Jimmy Kimmel turned, turned 50, sorry, he's 50, not 30, I took him to get his colonoscopy. And now that the screening, we, believe it or not, we had a blast. I'm not sure Jimmy did, but I did. Now that the screening age has been lowered to 45, maybe this year I'll take Tom Brady. I'm, I'm sure a few Patriot fans here might be willing to perform the procedure with minimal anesthesia. <laughs> I wasn't sure that would work, but I think it did. <laughs> Meanwhile, in 2008, I co-founded an organization called Stand Up to Cancer with eight other women frustrated by the pace of cancer research. We have raised more than $700 million to support dream teams of scientists from different institutions who are collaborating instead of competing and moving science forward faster. Who knows, maybe one of you scientists in the room will get a Stand Up to Cancer research grant one day. And following my breast cancer diagnosis, I joined forces with two members of Congress, one Democrat and one Republican, to introduce the Find It Early Act, which will mandate insurance companies pay for life-saving screening ultrasounds or MRIs for the millions of women in this country who have dense breasts like me. I know, TMI. And just as I did with colon cancer, I'm using every avenue I can to make sure women find out if they need additional screening. In fact, using my skills as a journalist to explain complicated medical concepts in an understandable and accessible way has been one of my greatest sources of pride. I urge all of you to learn to talk to your patients in human. You don't have to be on TV, though, to be an advocate. All of you will need to be, not only for your patients, but for yourselves. There's no getting around it. Being a healthcare professional is stressful. Sometimes you'll be working double shifts. You'll be exhausted. You often won't have enough time with your patients. You'll be frustrated. You'll be under pressure writing grant proposals and trying to get your research done at the same time. You'll have patients who are cranky and ungrateful. You'll watch people die. You'll speak to bereaved families. Perhaps you'll have to respond to another global pandemic. Good God, let's hope not. But whatever you face, it's bound to take a toll. One third of nurses left the profession in 2022. More than half of physicians reported feeling burned out this year. And nearly one in four doctors reported feeling depressed, the highest percentages in five years. The residual effects, the trauma really of COVID has not dissipated. At the height of the pandemic, I looked for a hospital expert in New York City who I could interview about the mental health programs that were available to support their exhausted workforce. I couldn't find any. Too many institutions are woefully behind when it comes to acknowledging the stressors of your jobs and providing the infrastructure necessary to help your teams. Demand more for yourselves and your colleagues. As Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see, but also work hard to develop your own internal coping mechanisms. The resilience 
that only you can provide yourselves when you're inevitably faced with setbacks and disappointments. Hopefully, you'll also challenge a system that is rife with inequities. When I was being treated for breast cancer, I couldn't help but think of the women who could not afford the kind of health care I was privileged to have. Black women, in fact, with breast cancer are four times more likely to, to die from the disease than white women. That is simply unacceptable. As Bono once said, where you live should not determine whether you live or whether you die. Yet, as you know, there are wildly different outcomes for those who don't have access, who are not treated with the same degree of care. A few days ago, I met a physician who's leading a company that provides high-quality care to marginalized populations. Her advice, as you make choices about what and where to practice, lean into opportunities to apply your incredible skills and talents to improving outcomes for those who need it the most and recognize that by focusing your career on addressing health inequities by working in underserved communities, you may find the key to your own well-being, satisfaction, and longevity in your profession. She also told me that treating every patient the same isn't necessarily the goal. In a society in which bias and inequity is baked into the fabric of every aspect of our lives, Understanding every person you treat, their history, their education, their culture, their families, their circumstances, the so-called social determinants of health is absolutely key to improving health care for everyone. Before I go, I can't let the opportunity pass to t without telling you one last thing. You are my heroes, and I'm not just sucking up. This is something I have said for years and years, not just during the pandemic when I was hanging out of my windows, banging my pots and pans with other New Yorkers. You save lives. Your work changes lives. You were there for others in times of great joy and times of tremendous sadness. Whether you're delivering difficult news or delivering a baby, encouraging a patient to take their meds or checking their vitals, discovering a new drug for ALS or overseeing a promising clinical trial. You matter so much. Take pride in the fact that you are a graduate of this fine institution with incredible leadership. Take pride that you have chosen a profession that really isn't a career it's a calling. I am so excited and frankly a little jealous that you have your whole lives ahead of you. As my husband says, I'm on the back nine. But to mix metaphors, I'm sprinting to the finish line. There is so much to experience, so much to do, so much to give. Every day is a chance to put something good in the world to make a difference. As Mary Oliver wrote in her poem, The Summer Day, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I, for one, cannot wait to find out. Thank you again for this incredible honor and congratulations.
follow us at UMass Chan on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. On YouTube, find us at UMass Chan Medical School.